With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, welcome to season three of Seeking Witchcraft. As always, it's me, your host, Ashley. And today's episode is going to be an updated Coven episode with a little bit of a twist. Not only will I give you some information about Covens in general, but I also have an elder in the craft who's going to be speaking on the topic as well. So please welcome Patrick. You want to introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Patrick. I've been around an awful long time. I practice primarily Gardnerian Wicca, but that was not my first training and initiation, nor is it my only one. Like many elders in the craft, many of us are multi-traditional. So I had started out back in the 80s as a Georgian initiate and completed that training and series of initiations. And then in the mid-90s, uh, sought out and took Gardnerian training. Awesome. Uh, so just backing up a little bit. So I've talked quite a bit about Gardnerian uh, on this podcast before. And I have talked a little bit about other traditions as well, but I've never talked about Georgian. Could you give just like a little snippet of what that tradition follows? Sure. Uh, Georgian Wicca is an interesting early hybrid of many different traditions of the craft. And it was started in Bakersfield, California in the early 70s by a man named George Pat Patterson and Jill Johns. Wasn't sure what name I was going to use because over the years she's had many last names and she's recently deceased, publicly known as Zanoni Silverknife. And they follow a basic BTW structure in that there's three degrees, a high priest, high priestess, periods of training. But the tradition formed at a very unique time in U.S. craft history in that there were established traditions. There were Gardnerians flourishing over here, Alexandrians were flourishing over here, New England Celtic traditionalist witches, NECTW from Gwen Thompson was here, New York Welshtrad was here, Fairy, Victor and Cora Anderson. And at that point in U.S. history, traditions hadn't quite drawn firm lines in the sand yet. So what I mean by that is that really the only thing people cared about was were you initiated in what degree, not what tradition? And therefore, people would share with you based on degree. And so what Jelaine did was she took everything that was gifted to her and added it to her practice and added it to her book and got rid of stuff that didn't work and kept stuff that did work. And over the course of 50 years, it became its own thing. There are plenty of Georgians in the U.S., there are plenty of Georgians in Germany. A lot of the early Georgians were also in the military. And so wherever they got stationed, they took it with them. So that's just that's just a little bit about the Georgians. Awesome. Yeah, I personally do not know a lot about that tradition. So I think that's actually pretty cool, uh, the way that she kind of just meshed things together. Mm -hmm. made, for, made for interesting training and interesting practice, but she made it work. Oh, I can definitely imagine it being a little <laughs> very interesting at times. <laughs> so the reason that I had become a Georgian initially, and I was very young, I was 17 when I met Zanoni, was because that's what was available. I met her. 
through friends, living locally. Um, and I think that's an important point to note is that while seekers may be looking for a particular tradition, this is a process. It's not an end game, you know, and the gods like to play chess and you will often meet people along your path who will take you where you need to go for that point in your life. Um, but up until that point, the very first book I'd ever read was What Witches Do by Stuart Farrar. And I was young enough, and this was pre-internet days, it was pre-Barnes and Noble days. Um, we had a small local bookstore, and so I basically tore the bibliography out of the back and said, start ordering me these books. And most of them were Doreen Valiente, Gerald Gardner, um, some of the classic classics of magic like the Key of Solomon and the Magus and this kind of thing. And so when I did actively, you know, start searching and turned 18, this was what I was looking for. So fast forward to the 90s is when it became available to me. And that's when I took initiation and training. And then fast forward to 2020 and here I am. Awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you got started in it a lot younger than I did. Um, well, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I, I was interested in this at a pretty young age, like a small kid. Like, But actually seeking out training was not something I did until my early 20s. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very different world now, you know, primarily because of the Internet. There's plenty of resources available. It's very easy, even at a young age. Lots of young people get Amazon gift cards, you know, to, to order books that interest you. So I think people are being exposed at a much younger age, but all because they have an interest and a desire and the exposure doesn't necessarily mean that a coven is going to take an under the age of 18 and usually not under the age of 21 year old seeker. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, so we're definitely going to get into that. <laughs> so just so listeners know the format of this topic. So before we recorded this, or, or be, be, well, yeah, before we came together for this, I went in my Facebook group that I have for the podcast, and I asked people to send me questions that they wanted to know about joining a coven. It could be anything about just like covens itself. It could be logistics. So I have a gigantic list of questions. We're going to see how many we can get through that I'm going to be asking and Patrick and I are going to be answering and it's going to be a fun episode. <laughs> well, I'm happy to answer them, but with the provision that this is what I as an elder look for. And I believe that what I look for and the information I'm going to give is pretty standard across multiple traditions and what the majority of the elders are looking for. Obviously each group and each individual may have their own specifics that they're looking for in a seeker. But, you know, as, as a generalization, we're all pretty much kind of sort of looking for the same type of person or the same type of attributes. So this is just one man's thoughts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I mean, whatever I answer on my end, I'm definitely not an elder, but you know, this is all kind of just like what's been my experience of what I've seen. But, Truth you know. be told, I'm only using that term because that is the term that I think most of your younger listeners would expect. But here's a little hint. Anybody running around calling themselves an elder, you might want to look at twice. <laughs> okay. A <laughs> um, little bit ego-based there. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, so what does it mean to be an elder? What it means is, for me anyhow, is that A, you have plenty of time and grade. 
okay? It's not that you're a second or a third degree that was just minted yesterday. Yes, some traditions, that's the technical definition of an elder, but an elder is someone who has the experience, both the magical and the life experience, as well as the, the grade, and who has dealt not only with the easy things that come up in the course of training, but dealt with the hard stuff successfully and has grown in the process themselves. Because every time a new student is taking, taken on, it's not just about teaching the student, but learning from them as well. This is a reciprocal process. And if it's all one-sided where, you know, where you're expected to give and, and not receive and, and the teacher or the elder knows all, sees all, done all, bullshit, okay? <laughs> For every situation that comes up, there's at least 100 different ways of approaching it. For every question that comes up, there's always a nuance that even your teacher probably hasn't thought about or experienced. And if they're honest in their own progress, they won't have a problem saying to the student, I really don't have an answer for you, or I don't know. Let me go find out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think one of the things I learn as I get into this is that there's so much out there that I don't know. <laughs> and the more I learn, the more I realize how uh, deep that pit is of unknowns. It's pretty, pretty deep. Yep. Let's go ahead and start with the first question. So this, I had a bunch of people kind of ask this question. So I'm just going to kind of form it all into one. So is there a difference between a coven and a spiritual group? Or in other words, what makes a coven a coven? A coven is a working group. You don't get together and watch movies, even though some coven nights you may choose to do that. A coven is not a meditation group, even though meditation may be part of the work that's being done. A coven is not strictly a ritual mystery group where you put on plays. And a coven most certainly is not a church congregation for the general public. So... When you hear, hear the terms priest and priestess or high priest and priestess, they are not ministering to their coven. They are interacting as equals with more knowledge. They're, they assemble the, the craft. I mean, just using the term the craft, a craft is something that you do. Nobody in a coven is an armchair witch or an armchair magician. You're actually going to get in circle and you're going to practice witchcraft. You're going to invoke the gods. You're going to work with the elements. You're going to experience the mysteries. Now that said, yes, there will be coven meetings set aside specifically for we're going to explore this topic. Or there'll be non-coven meetings where people will come over to the house to copy the BOS and have conversations. Okay, but a coven is not church. You don't show up every week, every month, major holidays, sing a few choruses of Kumbaya and go home. Okay. <laughs> This is very much a way of life. The people that are in the coven become as close as your brothers and sisters. And in some respects, the priest and priestess may become as close as your parents in that they, they're almost like spiritual parents. And I say almost as because I want to differentiate that your high priest and priestess are not your parents, okay? Um, do <laughs> not put true. them on pedestals. <laughs> And do not interact with them in that way. Everybody in that coven is an adult. Everybody that has come there has come there willingly. You know, this this shouldn't be going to church. Oh, God, I got to put on my fancy clothes and, you know, do up my hair. And you're not there to impress anyone. In fact, you're there to be your most authentic self. Because in order to do this kind of work and 
in order to open yourself to the mysteries that you will experience, you have to drop all the bullshit away. It's that simple. And in fact, most of us won't have a problem with what I'm about to say. Some will, but for those people that do not know, Gardnerians generally work sky-clad in circle, okay? There's a reason for that. And it's not that bullshit you might have read in a Llewellyn book of, oh, it impedes the power. Power can go through time and space and can affect physical change in our physical world, but can't make it outside of your cotton t-shirt. I don't think so, okay? Let's be real about it. That's so that's so true. Yeah. I never thought of phrasing it like that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the simplicity of it. And you shall be free from slavery. And it's a sign that you be really free, you shall be naked in your rights. Doreen Valiente printed that in her version of the charge, and it couldn't be more true. It's scary as shit. And don't let anybody tell you, even if you're a nudist and used to being unclothed around people, A coven situation, especially the first few times, it is scary. And that's where perfect love and perfect trust comes in. You have to trust Mm -hmm. that you are safe, that these people are going to accept you for who you are. And in time, I think it's a very beautiful experience. It's also a very practical one because circles, when you're doing magic, gets hot. And all the fancy robes in the world Do you really want to be washing them every time you circle? Because people sweat. You've been in circle. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I almost caught a sleeve on a candlestick Uh and almost went completely up in flames. You know, the whole Harry Potter, you know, look what I bought on Etsy. I've got this $300 beautiful robe. One spark, baby, and... That's gone. Yeah, you'll you'll more appreciate the sky-clad traditions. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I have like a fancy ritual dress that I own, but you know what? Like sometimes you just don't feel like being covered in polyester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it gets really, really hot in circle and uh, yeah, things happen. Yep, absolutely. So I agree with everything that Patrick said. And there's one thing I said in my first episode about what it's like to join a coven or what being in a coven is about. And I, I want to reiterate it for this because even though it's been a little over a year since I said that I still feel the same. My biggest thing with covens when I want to explain it is it's like joining a spiritual family. And Patrick makes a good point that, you know, you do have an HP, you do have an HPS. You're not necessarily putting them on a pedestal, but it is still like a family. Your coven brothers and sisters become very, very close to you. At least hopefully that happens. And if not, that means that you might not be the right fit for that coven. And that's not a problem because not everybody is going to fit into every single coven. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That leads to another question that I had somebody send in about. So what happens if there's not a coven around for, I don't know, hours, but there's one somewhat close to you and you really love witchcraft or you really want to get involved in Wicca and you go there and you just love it so much, but the people there, you don't get along with them. Should you just suck it up or just go solitary or what should you do absolutely never suck it up okay if that group that's close is the wrong group of people then you should not be with that group of people and this notion that you know wicca is so big and grown up and so widespread that you know oh my god two hours people have taken airplanes for training Yes, they have. People, I mean, one of my coven members, the furthest out, drives three and a half hours in one direction once a month. 
to come to Circle. My HP and HBS drive almost three hours one way Mm -hmm. to have Coven. And this isn't an issue of, you know, back in my day, we walked on our knees up hills, you know, in the snow. It's not that at all. It's that the fantasy of what you'd like versus the reality of what is there. People may be fully ready to do it, but their life circumstances don't allow for that kind of travel. Then in that case, you're better off trying to develop somewhat, at least the most basic of outer practices on your own than to be with the wrong group. So there are plenty of good books out there that give ideas for celebrating the Sabbaths by by yourself or to, to hold a full moon right by yourself. And there's plenty of wonderful magical training books out there so that you could begin some semblance of self-training in reliable magical technique. And by that, I'm not talking about the crap that you'll find, you know, again, um, the heretic I am, <laughs> Llewellyn. Llewellyn has been around a long time. They publish a lot of great occult books. They publish a lot of mediocre occult books. Um, but then you have books that have been on the market for decades. For example, uh, Franz Barden's Initiation into Hermetics. You will not get better than that classic of magic that's designed for self-training. So, I mean, there, there are plenty of really good things out there. And if a seeker can't find a group that's close or it's the wrong group that's close, there are plenty of options for them to begin to explore a magical development, magical spiritual path without breaking the bank, hours of traveling, or being with the wrong people. And I cannot stress enough, being with the wrong people just for the sake of being with people is a big mistake. Yes, it is. And, you know, I see a lot of times people talk about or ask, especially on the Gardnerian Seeker page, the Mm -hmm. Facebook group, they say, well, how far is too far to travel? And, you know, as Patrick said, there's been people who've taken airplanes (laughs) to, to travel for coven meetings. But I think the answer for that is it really depends on how far it is for you. But I still tell people whenever they reach out that say the closest coven to you is four hours away in a different state. I would say if you're really, really interested and you think you might be able to make something work, reach out to them because you never know if somebody in your area is also trying to go to that coven and you may be able to catch a ride with them or carpool or something. Uh, I know that. That's what happened with my HP and HPS, actually. <laughs> they lived hours away from the Covenstead and didn't know each other, met up with each other to travel to Coven together. And, you know, years later, they are now an HP and HPS in the gardening tradition. It's not as uncommon as people think it is. Then another thing that somebody asked is say that there's nothing around, like absolutely actually nothing around, and they don't have the means to find a coven or go to one that's, I don't know, maybe hours away. Maybe it's a transportation problem or whatever it is. Do you recommend for people to form their own coven and how should they should do that? I do not. Okay. And this is part of a bigger conversation. Um, the bigger conversation, which really isn't necessarily appropriate for this podcast is what is Wicca? Okay. Now, in the United States, Wicca has a very broad definition, but that's kind of limited to the United States. Outside of the United States, Wicca is one of two things. You're either a Gardnerian initiate or an Alexandrian initiate. And so for you to say, 
I'm Wiccan and I'm starting a coven, guess what? You will interact with people online who will tell you point blank, as much as it will hurt your feelings, no, you are not, and you have no business doing that. And I actually agree with that perspective. And I'll tell you why I agree with that perspective. Because especially when you're first going through initial training, this is one of the biggest benefits of a coven is stopping self-delusion. And, you know, the Jews have a saying about people who study Kabbalah that the person who studied Kabbalah alone goes insane, all right? And I won't necessarily say that's the same for the craft. It's not. But there's a lot of pitfalls along the path. And, you know, if you your only experience to date has come out of a book, then the idea of setting up a coven, per se, how does that work? How do you guide others when you yourself are still at the very beginning of your journey of seeking? What is that coven going to do? How is it going to operate? You know, um, it, it, it's honestly, there's just so many problems. Now, if people wanted to get together as a group of friends that were all in the same boat and say, well, why don't we sit down and celebrate, say, Beltane? Cool. Absolutely. Because then you can sit down, do the research together, look into aspects of writing rituals, look at many of the printed versions that are available, do research into the holiday, and put together something that's meaningful for those individuals that are going to participate. And even if they do that for every single Sabbath, but they approach it as this is a one-off, I think what will happen in time is that those people will grow together, and in time, somebody in that group is bound to run into a more established group, and things can happen. You know, it's also kind of signaling to the universe that we're ready to, to be serious about this. So there's two questions that I want to ask that kind of come up with that. So what would be your view on that with people who may not be looking at this from a Wiccan perspective, but may just want to practice witchcraft or work with the elements? Again, there's a lot of really valuable resources. And if you wanted to start a meditation group, go for it. But a meditation group isn't a coven. And even though you, you mentioned the elements, the reason that I say a meditation group is that there are plenty of group meditations and Eastern Tatra work where you can explore individually or as a group the elements. If you really want some life-changing experiences as a group, and there is a group of close-knit people, uh, the book Mind Games, again, been around for decades. It's not magical per se. It is more a psycho-spiritual, transformational kind of group workings. But it, it's definitely a book that I would look at. It was uh, written by Masters in Houston called Mind Games, and those can be incredibly transformative. Awesome. So I will put the name of that book in the description for this episode for anybody who's interested in looking into that. The other question that I had from the original statement, so you mentioned a more established group. So mm -hmm. what about covens that appear, like they do follow a tradition, but they appear to be just starting out and they're brand new, or you know, maybe a coven like that only has an HP or they only have an HPS. Do you think that people should be wary of that? No, absolutely not. And the reason for that is, is because the whole process that most of us refer to as hiving, when a new second or third goes out and starts a group either alone or in partnership, it's not like you're leaving home and never having contact with your parents again, okay? 
there's always a priest, a priestess, an elder, uh, a friend who has been running a group for a while to give guidance, to give suggestions. That's not to say that covens meddle in other covens business. They don't. Each is a totally autonomous unit. But we're also individuals and human beings. And we do all talk. And as you know yourself from the Gardnerian family, doesn't matter whether you know, you're in Baltimore or Bangkok. If there's a Gardnerian there, we can all communicate pretty freely and pretty quickly. So there's there's always backup. Yeah, that's my that, that's my opinion on it too. The other thing I want to mention that about this is that you know there are covens who are brand new and just starting out, and sometimes they only do have one coven leader, whether that be a high priest or a high priestess. I think mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where you're joining a group like that, and they ask you, "Hey, can you help? You know, step up and." you know, we don't have an acting high priestess or an acting person to lead this part of the ritual. Would you mind practicing that? I don't think you should run at that. Oh, <laughs> I think, absolutely not. Yeah, because... I think that's more common than people realize as well in traditions yeah. because as much as it'd be nice that every coven has a high priest and a high priestess and let's say they're married and this and that, it doesn't always work out like that more often than not. The coven structure, coven hierarchical structure in that respect is probably as diverse as mundane families. You will have single mother families. You will have single father families. You will have a mother and a father. You will have two fathers and some. You will have two mothers and some. That's just, you know, the coven reflecting real life. And it works. And if that's a coven that you find yourself drawn to, that's where you need to be. Yep. And, you know, that that goes into, so somebody asked me, is there diversity in covens? And the answer is absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. No two covens are the same. And as Patrick said, covens are autonomous, meaning they operate on their own rules of what they establish within the group. Like one coven can't tell another coven what to do or how to run their group. Nope, not at all. Now, here's an important thing to point out as well. And I'm not suggesting that you stay away from covens that aren't quite as diverse because, I mean, again, people get drawn to where they get drawn. But in my experience, some of the most longest lasting covens are the ones that have the, the most diversity. And again, it's just anecdotal, just my observation. Um, but yeah, and we're not only talking diversity as far as genders, we're talking diversity as far as ethnicities, as far as socioeconomic means, the whole gamut. Yes. And, you know, one person did ask as well, are there are covens that are trans-inclusive and accepting of the LGBTQ plus community. And the answer is absolutely. Yes. But the flip side of that, sadly, there are covens that are not. And the reality is, is that if that kind of coven doesn't work for you, then you don't belong there. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. No, If, not if at you all. don't belong with that coven, then, you know, there's plenty of others. And here's the thing. Sometimes when you approach a coven about training and they get to know you and you get to know them, they make a decision. And sometimes that decision is, no, this is not the right fit. But that said, I know very few priests and priestesses that won't say, you know, I don't think you're a good fit for our group, but I do know this group over here. Would you mind if I introduced you? Very few are just going to leave a seeker totally hanging if they are a a legitimate seeker, they're not a troublemaker, their heart is in the right place, they have the maturity, People want to see people succeed. It's not about keeping people down. 
So all because you're not a good fit for one doesn't mean you won't be a good fit for the other. And priests and priestesses with any amount of experience recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people don't talk about very often is that getting rejected from a coven. And it happens. And it happens often. Well, kind of. <laughs> Depending on lo how long somebody goes through a training. And, it, it, you know, it's it's really unfortunate for everybody involved because nobody wants to hurt each other's feelings. but you know, it's very true. Sometimes the coven that you're with is just not the great fit for you. And that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you're not a good witch. It just means that the people that you're working with, it just, you don't mesh. And you yeah. know what, if, if that's the case, they, they see that, then you'd be better off in a different coven anyway, that is more attuned to yourself and your own personality. Yeah. Now that said, a good coven will challenge you. So it's not always about your comfort. You, you can't grow if you're kept in a safe little box. So again, experienced coven leaders will challenge you. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, early on, they may say, even if they do have a priest and priestess, you're up tonight. We want you to invoke the, the quarters. And you may never have done it, didn't see it coming. But if they didn't think you could do it, they wouldn't ask it. Oof, yeah. <laughs> Covens will definitely challenge you both when you're actually initiated into the coven mm -hmm. and well before that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is definitely a thing. And I remember having to uh, tell myself quite often as I was going through my training of like, okay, well, I'm not going to grow if I'm not a little uncomfortable. But I do want to stress that when we're talking about comfortability and being uncomfortable, we're not talking about compromising situations. No, not at uh, that all. Is the, yeah, not at all. This we're not talking about sexual We're talking more along the lines of nothing. you feel put on the spot or embarrassed a little bit or wondering, is everybody going to be looking at me? What happens if I fuck up the words or, you know, what happens <laughs> if, if the energy doesn't come? That's the growing and, and challenging. Not that, oh shit, they've asked you to do something that you know is wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, don't worry about fucking up the words. I don't think there's a single person out there that has never fucked up one thing in ritual ever. Would you like me to digress for a little bit and tell you a a little bit of a funny story from years oh, ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Our group, like many groups, you know, pre-circle, we're getting ready, we're setting up, we're laughing and everything else. But when it comes time to begin ritual work, it's all, all business and serious. And one time, our high priestess knelt in front of the altar and picked up her athame and was getting ready to consecrate the water and cut the loudest, stinkiest, juiciest fart you ever heard. It oh took <laughs> a half an hour for us to stop rolling on the floor with laughter. She was a little embarrassed, and once the smoke cleared, no pun intended, we recom <laughs> recomposed and got on with the rite. Those kind of things happen, you know, and you roll with it. So trust me, saying the occasional wrong word is not life-shattering. Yeah, it happens. You know, we're all human. Yep. <laughs> we're witches, but we're human. Yep. So going a little bit now into talking about, I don't know, co approaching covens as, from a logistics standpoint, do covens always look for beginners or are they generally looking for somebody who's maybe read a little bit of, of like some stuff online or read some books? And if they are not looking for beginners, what can somebody do to get to the point where they would be considered for application? Well. Here's the thing. There's no general answer to that because each coven's composition is totally different. So those qualities of experience level are different from group to group. Okay. Um, we have 
initiates in our coven that were from another coven, for example. And because each coven is autonomous, say a first degree in our coven may have a different knowledge base than a first degree in your coven. And so sometimes there's some bringing up to speed. Some people like people that have just read a couple books and and are totally, you know, that that blank slate kind of thing. I think that's unrealistic. It'd be great if we all had a blank canvas on which to paint. All right? We're human beings. We're not canvas. And we come with all sorts of, of levels of knowledge, experience, hopes, dreams. So it, it's really hard to say. But I think that most groups aren't really too concerned with the knowledge and experience you're going to bring to the group so much as the honesty and integrity and the true desire to learn. Yeah. I will say I was one of those who came into a coven setting with not a lot of knowledge. I had barely read Scott Cunningham at the time when I started my group. And after finding out that I was accepted to get into the training of my group, I very quickly finished reading it. So I had mm-hmm. something to base my my experience off of. I will say, for my opinion, I don't think it's necessarily bad if you don't have as much knowledge as you think that you should. I think people can be pretty hard on themselves with that. But the reason I say that is because, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of going off the opposite of what you said, Patrick. You know, you kind of go into this as a blank slate and there's a lot to learn and it's not as much unlearning per se. Mm-hmm. And um, I can see that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the case for me. I mean, that being said, I did come from a Catholic background. So there was a little bit of unlearning with that, but I had been removed from the church for quite a bit of time. So not that much, but, you know, and also as Patrick was saying, it really depends on the coven. Not all covens are the same. Some want you to have some a, a lot of understanding and an experience and this and that. And others just, you know what, if you are sincere and willing and want to put in the time and work, then they're willing to work with you. Yep. So as I mentioned, the time of the work, <laughs> I had one person ask about how important is attendance? And, you know, what if they have kids or they have a busy job and they can only make it sometimes? It's there are times where maybe children are welcome to come into the training. Um, I think there's a lot of opinions on this. Okay. <laughs> I, will I definitely have mine. <laughs> yes. I will say that opinions or oh my gosh, opinions. I'll say that attendance is extraordinarily important. Mm-hmm. And I was really dedicated when I was a seeker. I remember, I think my third meeting we ever had, and we met every other week. So we met quite often. Um, not all covens meet every other week. Some meet once a month. Um, this is also a training group. But anyway, I remember I worked a show <laughs> on that Saturday night. I didn't get home until maybe like 630 in the morning because I, I worked in the music industry at the time and would have to run around all night. I came home, got around 630, ate dinner at <laughs> 630 in the morning, took a shower, went to bed, woke up at around like 8.30 in the morning uh, to then drive to our training group, which started at 9.30 in the morning. And my hair was still wet from the night before, <laughs> but I was there. I was like less than two hours of sleep pretty much. And I was ready to go. I mean, I was extraordinarily tired, but I made it through that day. And, you know, there was only one coven or no, I'm sorry. There's only two coven meeting or training group meetings I ever missed. And the one was when I was taking the GRE because I was the only day that they had available. And the other was because I was at a music festival on a cruise that just happened to fall <laughs> during that weekend. Um, but you know, as I, I'd never missed a single day in my year and a day. 
And, uh, you know, I think attendance is extraordinarily important or you, you get how what you put into it. Absolutely. Now that said, I would recommend people look at it like their job. Some days you have to go when you're a little tired, but if you're sick, stay the hell home. You're of no good to, to anybody rest up. But as a rule, if you have kids, just like with work, find a babysitter. You know, if you're going to be there half of the time or less, why bother? It's not going to work. You really have to commit. We would personally never allow somebody to bring their children to coven. If we were having a strictly social night, which occasionally we'll do, where spouses and children are, are welcome, then absolutely bring them along. But there's no work done. There's no ritual, anything in that kind of situation. Great. But no, generally for coven meetings, and I w do want to touch on the training bit in just a minute or so, but like our general rule is it's a no-go. Now, as far as training goes, there's a number of different ways to approach it, and you had mentioned a training coven. I don't think there's actually is such a thing. Every coven, there's different people in different places, and everybody's learning different things simultaneously. Okay. That said, probably a good place to have a conversation briefly is surrounding pre-initiation. So what do you do up until the time when you are initiated, you know, and you're actually a member of the coven? What does that look like? And in that respect, there are as many approaches as there are covens. Um, you mentioned an outer court. Some run a year and a day outer court. And when we first started our group 25 years ago, we did as well. And after that, we said never again. We were not wasting our time, energy, or resources on that nonsense. Okay. The way we had our setup, which is not uncommon, is that there's a syllabus and there's certain amount of reading to do and a book list and discussion and possibly assignments, either written or things along the lines of a dream journal or meditation journal. And when people get together, there may be generic outer court sabbats that get done or full moons. And that's exactly what we did. And we started off, there was close to a dozen people in our outer court group. And by the time it finished, and I have to say that we started this off with letting people know right up front, initiation is no guarantee. This is not college. You do not finish the curriculum and get awarded a diploma. Okay? It's its own thing. And when it's done, it's been great. It's over with. And, you know, then we, we will make a decision if we're going to approach people. And out of that dozen people, there were only two that we considered. One who then later joined our coven, was initiated, and one individual who had said when he started the outer court, I'm exploring different paths, and I don't know if this is for me, okay? And he was right up front about it. And so we welcomed him. And at the end of the year and a day, we would have been willing to initiate him. And he said, I really don't think it is. I've had a great time. You guys are wonderful people. I've learned a lot, but it still doesn't feel right. And we sent him off with our blessing, you know? And I think that it's important for seekers to understand that some groups may run it like that. Some groups may do a structured outer court year and a day, um, and they simply will not admit you to that training period unless they've already made a decision that you probably got the qualities they're looking for. And they're really going to use that year and a day more to 
evaluate you as an individual and how far along you are on the journey and who you really are, then they're so much concerned about whether you've read a certain book or written a certain paper. Our group, and there's only a handful of us that, that do it this way, we do not have an outer court. You're either in or out. Um, that said, when we're approached by people, we do give them some stuff to do, but we will take as long as it takes to really get to know them. So a year and a day does not come into play in any way, shape, or form with how Starfire Coven is run, for example. We have initiated people at the six-month mark. Um, we've told people at the two-year mark, eh, I'm not so sure this is this is a good thing to continue. Um, so e each group is different, and I think it's important that the seeker be clear up front. And don't hesitate to ask the priest or priestess, or in some cases, it's not the priest or priestess of the coven that's running the outer court. It could be a couple of seconds, second degrees. Um, that is part of their training and preparation for forming their own group are running a training group under their priest and priestess's guidance. Don't be afraid to ask what the expectations are if they haven't been made crystal clear to you. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Patrick just said. And one thing I do want to add to it is that a lot of people, you know, as you mentioned, this isn't a graduation. <laughs> like at the, at the no. end of this, you know, you're not getting a diploma. With my group, I will say we totally joked about that because I had just recently finished grad school and did go through an actual <laughs> real graduation. <laughs> so it just kind of lined up like that, but it, it's not. And I think a lot of people don't consider that it's a two-way street. It's not that you're there to learn. I mean, you are there to learn about the tradition. You're there to learn the people. But you have to remember, they're also there to learn about you. And I think that gets lost on a lot of seekers when they're going through this because it's a lot of your own personal spiritual growth. And people don't consider, wait a second, like, will I feel comfortable in this situation with these people until they're a little bit late in their training, which is fine. I mean, as long as you have that realization come up eventually <laughs> that you need to know if you're willing to be spiritually, spiritually vulnerable with other people. But I think that's an important thing to keep in mind while going through this. Another thing is for the seeker to really be honest with themselves and ask why they're doing this and what their, what their expectation is in joining a group. Again, different covens operate from different perspectives, even within the same tradition. For us, how we operate is that people get brought in, they get initiated. We have coven members that are still in our coven seven years on. No indication that they're going to hide, even though they perfectly could and have the authority to, because it's we're building a working group. And the approach is, is at some point, people will want, hopefully want to hive off and start their own group. But that's not a, you must do this. You know, it's not a year and a day, you're first, year and a day, you're second, year and a day, you're third, get out. And if it is, and that's the approach, um... It's not for me to judge another group, but to me, that's just a little weird. You know, it sounds like a diploma mill kind of equivalent to the craft. But that said, like I said, some of the people in our group, we find ourselves joking around metaphorically, like, get out of my basement, get a job. You know, it's time to leave home. We know you're safe here. Get out. <laughs> so time to hop on your broomstick and uh, make your own coven. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to be respectful of your time, but I have just a Absolutely. couple more questions I want to ask that I think people uh, were really adamant Shoot. about uh, wanting to know. 
one of the big things is, uh, you know, it's no secret that people drink wine during religious services, and that includes in a coven meeting. You know, if somebody is a recovering alcoholic, do you think that they should just completely avoid even looking into a coven that is very upfront about the fact that they Absolutely might drink not. wine? Or do you think it'd be rude, no. though, for them? Like, no, not. I don't think it's rude. <laughs> but I think people have this fear that they're going to be like, oh, I'm the newcomer and I'm telling these people what to well, do. And that's no. to put their wine away. Here's the away. thing. If somebody came into our group and said, put the wine away, we'd say, there's the door. Don't let it hit you. You know? But this goes back to when you're first meeting with people. Be honest and upfront. I'm in recovery. I'm having a little bit of a problem with this. You know? Um, Nobody's going to require you to drink wine. In fact, most covens will do the same kind of a thing that you will find in generic pagan get-togethers, which is if a cup with wine is passed to you, A, it's identified that there's wine in it. Kiss the cup and pass it on. Some covens will have two cups, one with wine, one without. It's perfectly okay, and there should never be any pressure for that. And in fact, people in recovery in the craft, there are, there's, I won't say there's quite a few, but there's more than just a couple. Enough so that at different gatherings, it is not uncommon to have a 12-step group as a workshop for those people that may need it. We don't leave who we are at the door. And that brings us back around to the beginning when I said, you know, we work skyclad for a reason because you're showing us your true self. And if that's part of your journey and that's part of your struggle, any decent coven will recognize that and honor that. Conversely, the seeker should do the same. You know, if it's the coven practice to pass a cup of wine, don't say, oh, there can't be any wine in this house while I'm here. Then you won't be here because you're in somebody else's house and that's just fucking rude. You know, um, you have to be real about it. <laughs> but yes, absolutely under no circumstances should you be required to consume alcohol, drugs, have sex, anything like that. And that gets back to the, you know, stretching... Pushing your boundaries versus stranger danger, you know, um, and under no circumstances should you tolerate the latter. Exactly. There are going to be times where you're going to be pushed in a coven setting where you're going to be out of your comfort zone, and that's normal. But there should not be anything that you would have to go over a line to do. Absolutely. It's not going to. And if that's where, you know, if that's something that you're running into, First off, check the legitimacy of the coven that you're with, especially if it's Gardnerian or Alexandrian. There are Facebook groups, and it is a very common thing for people to go in there to ask the admins of the group, hey, is this a real coven? Please do that. Mm -hmm. It's it's in not fact, rude. It's it's a thing. On the Gardnerian Seekers and Initiates page that you mentioned, of which I'm one of the admins, just so your listeners know, that coven list that's up there, every one of those people are not only vetted to be actual Gardnerians, but the unspoken that I'm about to speak is, they're mostly okay people. You know, none of us are going to create a situation where potential seekers find somebody that's validly initiated, but aren't, aren't good people, if we can help it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, and that's the reality seekers have to face. You may encounter somebody who is a perfectly legitimate Gardnerian, Alexandrian, Welsh trad, whatever. They are exactly who they say they are, but they're total creeps. It happens. Yeah. You know. Unfortunately, witchcraft and Wicca and covens are not immune from the society of people's different personalities. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, with that said, this was actually a question that was submitted from another guard. 
<laughs> so I guess he wanted to hear your opinion. Should somebody be wary if the people that they're speaking with won't give their real names? Honestly, I would say yes. And I'll tell you why. It's one thing to not go by your mundane name and, you know, on Facebook pages, you know, I mean, if somebody were to look at my Facebook page, you're not going to see blatantly craft stuff. And I'm not in the closet, but I'm not particularly out of it either. I have coworkers that know that I'm craft, usually those that I work with the closest, you know, but it's not something that I, I stand up in staff meetings and let them know. But <laughs> I'm just having a mental image of that right now. <laughs> yeah. Conversely, you know, if somebody's, ooh, I'm, I'm that secretive, you know, you can't know who I really am. Bullshit. I want my partner to know whose house I'm going to. Okay. So it isn't going to be any Lady Morgan. It's going to be, I'm at Terry's house if you need me. Okay. And that is completely legitimate. The idea of being so super secretive that nobody knows anybody's mundane name. Bullshit. You don't have to advertise it. You don't have to put it out on the internet or hang it up in occult bookshops. But anybody that's doing that, that to me is a big warning sign. Yeah. I mean, Coven's, especially Gardneri and Alexandria, may be secret, but you know, we're, yeah. we're real people. <laughs> and we also have to be aware of the danger, or, you know, exactly. stranger danger, because, you know, a lot of people also look at this like, hey, you know, I'm going to this strange person's house and they do witchcraft and there's all these sharp knives. Oh my God, like, what if <laughs> something bad happens? But you got to realize, like, the, that works both ways. <laughs> when yeah, you are I mean, and the reality is house. most people, when they first, when contact is first had with a seeker, are not going to invite them to their homes. You know, they'll have a conversation online to start or on the telephone to start, and then it progresses. Well, let's meet at Starbucks at this address and have coffee, you know. Um, and maybe that'll happen a couple of different times, each time with a few more coven members being in attendance before you're actually invited to somebody's home, you know. And understand this, just like you're feeling them out and checking out the potential group, they're doing the same for you. If you have a Facebook page, trust that they are going to look for it. Trust that they are going to be Googling your name. Okay, nobody's going to run a background check on you. But yeah, if they pop your name and your town into Google and it comes up, you've been arrested six times, you know, don't don't be surprised when the response you get is a non-response. Yeah, exactly. All right, Patrick, so we're coming towards the end. So I have one question that I want to ask you. Actually, it's kind of kind of two questions in one, but it's something I ask everybody at the end, uh, but I'm going to add just a special option to that because we are talking about covens. So the first part of this question is if somebody was looking to join into a coven, a coven, is there anything that you would recommend for them to do aside from read anything you'd want to see? And the second part of this question is what's one piece of advice that you can give somebody who's just starting out maybe not even looking for covens yet, but just a brand new person getting involved in witchcraft or Wicca. Same answer for both parts of that question. Don't be a dick. <laughs> okay. Whether, oh gosh, you're, true. whether you're getting to know people, whether you're approaching somebody for training, whether you just want a little bit more information, be a decent person. You know, um, don't send weird emails out of the blue. You know, don't just walk up to people if they're, you know, be attentive. If somebody looks like they don't want to be bothered at a public gathering, don't bother them. Give them their space. And when they look like there's time, you know, be respectful. And the same as you would in just everyday ordinary life. And, you know, if you take that approach, 
you'll get that kind of a response. Yeah, very well said. And also don't expect handouts. Don't don't demand for witchcraft. <laughs> we oh, hell no. I've seen a lot of, of emails come in of people saying like, oh, make me this, this. And I'm like, well, hello, my name's Ashley. <laughs> like, if there's a, mm-hmm. it, it's quite astounding how people reach out to people for comments we on had witchcraft. A long discussion earlier in the week just about this topic, and that that's a whole show in and of itself, I'm sure. Things not to do when approaching a coven for training. <laughs> Step one, demand. Yeah. <laughs> we don't God. care about your grandmother's stories, you know. No, we don't have finances that you can regulate for us. No, we don't care that you self-initiated at 12 and considered yourself a third-degree high priestess at 14 because of Uncle Ray's big blue book of Wicca. You're not impressing anybody. In fact, you're doing just the opposite. It's better to walk up to somebody like Ashley said. Hi, I'm Ashley. Do you have a few minutes to talk? Or if you're, you're responding on the Seekers and Initiates group, let your email just Show a little bit of you, but a little bit of respect. Hi, my name is Patrick. You know, I saw that you were in my area on the Guard Seeker and Initiates group. I was wondering if maybe there's a time when we could talk on the phone or possibly get together since you're local and have a conversation because I'm interested in learning about the craft. And here's a little bit about me. You know, just give give them an honest little taste without giving your whole life story. It's quite amazing how much a little bit of common decency will get you, especially in witchcraft and Wicca. All right. So thank you, Patrick, so much for coming on. You mentioned that people can see you you as an admin in the Seeker page, correct? They can. Yeah. I believe there's 49 of us from all over the world. And we're all very, very different personalities. And and we balance each other out in our approach. So 49 different admins. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I didn't realize I'm that many. Yep. (laughs) Yikes. It's actually down by a few. But it's a group that's got 35, 3,600 people in it from all over the world. True. And there may be people asking questions about areas where the bulk of us may not know. And, you know, we need an admin from that particular part of Europe. Or maybe what they're asking looks almost unintelligible on the group because English is their second language. And so somebody else who, you know, speaks a few other languages fluently may be able to reach out to them back channel and say, hey, you know, this didn't quite make sense. Can I help you with something? So yes, having that large of a group is not only because of our physical locations, but our particular interests or talents. Yeah, that does make sense. I've definitely seen a couple of posts on there where, you know, I could see some people chiming in saying, oh, I'm not really sure. But other admins have jumped in and say, oh, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And as mentioned before, if you're ever interested in a Gardnerian coven, and the same goes for Alexandrian as well, you can join either the Facebook group. So the Gardnerian Facebook group is Gardnerian Wicca, Seekers and Initiates. Oh, also, the big thing people always want to know is how to find a guard group on the internet, aside from that, or just any coven. You can go to Mandragora Magica. That's a website. I will put, Absolutely. Yep, I will put that in the uh, listing for, or the description for this episode. And uh, there's a new website coming out called Darps, Dark Sun Moon, I believe. I think they might have a coven listing, but the main thing I would say is go on the Gardnerian Facebook group. And it, again, it's the Gardnerian Seekers and Initiates page and go on Mandragora Magica. Those are my top recommendations. Couldn't agree more. And if you're curious about a coven, message Patrick and ask him if they're legit. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Patrick, so much for coming on. I really appreciated you speaking with everybody today and answering was my pleasure. all these questions. Oh, it was great. And for anybody listening, I just want to give a shout out to the Patreon users. So the Seekers, Witchlings, the Neophytes, you guys are awesome. And we're going to start our book club really soon. So if you haven't voted for which book you want to read yet, I definitely recommend you do that. And yeah, so you guys can find me on Facebook on Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. Uh, I have a Facebook group called Witches Seeking Witchcraft on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft or Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft. So tons of different ways to get in contact with me. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a great night and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.